A word of warning. This series contains mature language depicting instances of sexual, physical, and or emotional abuse of children. Are you the toughest coach in the U.S.? What you put the kids through here, is it more demanding than most places? I really can't answer on that one because I don't know, you know, what's going on in other places. Marta Caroli, husband and wife, and what a coaching team they are. Did the Carolis have great success as coaches? Absolutely. The gold medal goes to Mary Lou Retton. Oh, oh my God, I can't express the feeling. Did they create a system that established the U.S. women as an overwhelming powerhouse? Most definitely. Gold and silver medalist for Team USA. For more than four decades, no name has meant more to women's gymnastics than Caroli, Bella and Marta Caroli, two of the most successful coaches in gymnastics history. Right now, we turn to women's gymnastics and the United States, which has become a power in recent years, now looking to become the power. Bella and Marta Caroli gave the U.S. its first superstar, Mary Lou Retton, its first gold medal, and eventually put American gymnasts on top of the medal stand year after year after year. Bella became world famous as a big bear of a man, gregarious and loud. Bella was the guy with a thick accent that was giving these big bear hugs. Marta came across as the opposite of her husband, petite and reserved. What is she like? She is actually very sweet, but very tough. If we gave 100%, she wanted 110. Nothing was ever good enough for Marta, and I think that's what made us so good. Judges, put your pencils down. Olympic gold medalist in the all-around, Simone Biles. The Carolis embody remarkable achievement. Get the gold medals ready again. Did it come at a price? Hell yeah. This is Heavy Metals from 30 for 30 Podcast. I'm Alyssa Roenick. Gymnastics has been part of my life in some form for as long as I can remember. From watching Mary Lou on TV at the 1984 Olympics when I was seven, to later being a teenage gymnast obsessing over Kim Zameskel's tumbling passes. And for the past 15 years at ESPN, where my reporting partner Bonnie Ford and I both cover international sports. When I covered my first Summer Olympic Games in Beijing in 2008, China was accused of having an underage gymnast on the team, and I was writing about it. I'll never forget Bella Caroli shouting into my digital recorder about how the Chinese coaches had just stolen his playbook. I wish I still had that tape. Here was Bella Caroli, not just upset that China had possibly broken the rules, but wanting to make sure I knew he deserved credit for recognizing that younger and smaller gymnasts had better chances for gold. It was a point he'd been making to reporters for years. I was the first one around the world who started out with very, very young kids, realizing they have a tremendous capability, a tremendous potential. As the truth has come to light about the consequences of pinning a nation's hopes on the shoulders of children, Bella and Marta Caroli have come under scrutiny. Today, breaking news, allegations that strike at the heart of a very successful U.S. Olympic sport. One of the worst things we have seen in U.S. Olympic history. Their legacy is littered with questions about what they accomplished, 
and how much responsibility they bear for the incredible amount of damage that has been done. Claims tonight from a former gymnast who has filed suit against a doctor and legendary coaches Bella and Marta Caroli. Yes, this unnamed gymnast accuses the Carolis of turning a blind eye to abuse. But as complicated as their story would become, it all started with something simple. Matthew Comaneci of Romania. Oh, and now look at her play in the crowd. I wouldn't be surprised if she got a tip. It started with perfection. And it is a perfect tip. The first time. The first time I have ever seen that in an Olympic competition. A perfect tip. At the 1976 Olympic Games in Montreal, 14-year-old Nadia Comaneci earned the first perfect 10 in Olympic gymnastics history. And when the judges announced her score, the crowd erupted, but no one more so than Nadia's coach, Bella Caroli. At 33 years old, Bella and Marta Caroli were just beginning their career as coaches. Outside of Romania, they were unknowns, but Bella was impossible to miss especially as the six-foot-plus coach towered over his four-foot-eleven, 86-pound protege. We see her coach, Bella, urging her on from the sidelines. He's standing almost on the floor. He's talking to her constantly. Over the course of a single thrilling week, Nadia became the crowd favorite and an international star as she scored perfect 10 after perfect 10. Everybody's yelling, they want to Listen to this camera's clicking. Three tens. Unbelievable. We have another first. Two tens on one piece of paper. There's a perfect ten, her fourth. And the uneven bars. Five tens by a 14-year-old superstar. An unbelievable seven perfect tens altogether. And in the individual all-around, Nadia won the gold medal a first for Romania. Finally, Nadia comes up and does her incredible routine. That's where the crowd exploded. I mean, that was explosion, explosion of support, explosion of love and excitement. And I'm looking through the corner of my eyes and I see the Soviet team getting their stuff and they walk in out of the arena. I said, yes, yes, we got it. Finally. After decades of dominance, a Romanian had beaten the Soviets. In a way, for some people, this is the end of a love affair, the dethroning of the USSR gymnastic competition. Nadia Comaneci now takes over, the 14-year-old sprite of a girl. But for Bella Caroli and his wife and coaching partner Marta, there was something even greater at stake. The favor of the Romanian government. It was late night on the Romanian time, so I was watching the before team doctor and his wife, Marta's friend, and my wife. We watched on uh, black and white TV. Double twist, perfect. My name is Geza Pozar. That's the Hungarian pronunciation. In English, it's like Giza Pozar. <laughs> so, <laughs> Geza Pozar. Geza Pozar was the choreographer for the Romanian national team. He'd been working with Bella and Marta for years. He designed Nadia's floor routine and helped her train for this moment. But instead of watching from the sidelines with Bella and Marta, he was watching from home because the Romanian government wouldn't let him travel to Montreal. Because I didn't get the visa to go. 
Geza had recently married a French woman, and so the government didn't trust him to go to Canada and actually return to Romania. Gorgeous routine, beautiful, and the crowd loved it. From his living room in the small town of Onesht, Geza, like the rest of Romania, watched Nadia make history. The whole town came out to the streets. It was like midnight. All of them would come out, and it was like carnival in Rio, you know. It was unbelievable. First of all, they get drunk, you know, as the first thing. But everyone was so happy. It was a huge celebration, huge. But this moment was bigger than just the party in those small town streets. The whole world was in ecstasy, you know. The whole world was in ecstasy. That's why Nadia's perfect tens and her gold medal were so important. They made Romania visible, a country that suddenly stood out from the rest of the communist bloc. Nadia was a lovable figure, from a place the Western world saw as very grim. Nadia was the diamond. She was the treasure of Romania. She was the best product Romania ever had. Nadia put Romania on the map. After Nadia, everybody knows that there is Romania. During the Cold War, sports were a way for nations to assert their power without going to war. Olympic success equaled national pride. For athletes and coaches in Romania, it meant security and stature. It meant not waiting in line for a loaf of bread. People suffered shortages, brought about despotism and corruption of the imperial government. Uh, Romania at that time was under a very, very strict, ugly dictatorship. And it was a cult of personality. Public display of giant portraits of communist leaders. We had to uh, idolize the leader of the country. Nadia's win was the ultimate political validation for the country's leader, Nikolai Ceausescu. The pageantry was befitting the crowning of a princess. There's a national celebration. The president got very excited. The presentation was made personally by the president of Romania, Nicolae Ceausescu. Nadia and the Carolis were welcomed home to Romania as heroes. They gave us awards, you know. We got uh, some uh, bonuses. We paid only uh, half of the taxes, like everybody paid. We got 50% deduction of our taxes. Propaganda is power in a regime like Ceausescu's. And there was no better propaganda than celebrating and rewarding the success of its Olympic champion and the coaches who had brought Romania such high honor. Nadia was made a hero of the socialist country, and she was a hero, all decorated. Her country honored Nadia with its highest award, the hero of the socialist labor. She got the car, Bela got two cars. Nadia and the Carolis were gifted cars. Their taxes were cut in half. As the rest of the country dealt with crushing rations, the Romanian coaches and their choreographer had meals delivered to them for free. The days of waiting in food lines were over for them. The only thing what they expected us to do is to win medals. As long as they could keep making Romania proud. Bella Caroli had always been an athlete, but never a gymnast. He was a boxer at the beginning, then he became a hammer thrower, and then he became a handball coach. <laughs> so everything about gymnastics. Bella's first experience with gymnastics didn't come until college. I had to pass some gymnastic test, which was oh difficult to me. I was a tall and pretty heavy guy. So it was, <laughs> it was something, something uh, to see me 
uh, swinging on the bars and doing a tumbling, which was an unknown sport for me, totally unknown before. He was introduced to gymnastics and to one of his classmates, Marta Eros, the woman he would marry. I got married, and uh, my wife, a former gymnast, she was a good gymnast, though, we got married and we went out to teach gymnastics. Marta and Bella both majored in physical education with the goal of coaching young kids. They wanted to work together and decided to focus on her specialty, gymnastics. It was a new experience, a totally new experience for me. I never had the experience to teach young children. I didn't know how to, to start with them. Bella came to the sport not knowing much about gymnastics, but that didn't really matter because he was essentially teaching himself the basics of the sport by teaching little kids who didn't know much about gymnastics themselves. That's something Geza noticed the first time he saw Bella in action. I saw this big guy, big guy, all dressed in a blue warm-up, and some very small little kids who were up almost just up to his hips, you know, flipping like the little fishes in the water, you know, like little <laughs> silver fishes, tumbling on the floor. It was very impressive, and I saw this guy with you know, huge hands, you know, sometimes spotting them and throwing them up in there and catching them, and oh my God, this <laughs> is something different. It was kind of an ideal match. Giant Bella could easily spot these small kids and help them safely learn new skills. His wife, Marta, had the gymnastics know-how and credibility. They started to teach very young kids very hard tricks. Easy to spot them, you know. The Carolis refined their system in local gymnasiums for 10 years before breaking onto the national stage. After that, he got in connection with the Gymnastic Federation. They uh, got a lot of help from uh, them. Bella and Marta's approach got results. Nearly all of the athletes on the Romanian Olympic team that won the silver medal in 1976 had trained with the Carolis. As a group, they were noticeably younger and tinier than the gymnasts who had come before them. 14-year-old Nadia Comaneci of Romania, 4 feet 11, 86 pounds. By comparison, the 1972 Olympic gold medalist was a 19-year-old. The 1968 gold medalist was 26. They'd been through puberty. They were taller. They had women's bodies. When Nadia won gold at 14 years old, it sealed the trend toward child athletes. The youngest ever to win a gold medal in the all-around competition. Nadia, congratulations again. And I, one thing I wanted to ask her, she's the youngest girl to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games. Where does she go from here? What, ha what about 1980? I'm going to participate at the Olympics in Moscow and I'm going to try to do better than I did here and learn a lot of new things. How many more tens does she expect? <laughs> as many as possible. Congratulations and to your coach, Bella Caroli. Before the 1976 games were even over, the Romanians were focused on repeating and adding to that success. And because Bella was seen as responsible for Nadia, the Romanian government put the Carolis in charge of a new national training center in the small industrial town of Deva. Bela always liked to uh, work in this type of small places when he had a lot of control. It was isolated. That was the point. Bella liked to keep tabs on the girls. 
So he knew if the girls went to buy some ice cream or uh, he knew because he knew everybody. So the girls were under control at the time. He, can, he cannot go there and buy food or something without him knowing it. Geza had moved to Deva with Bella and Marta to continue as the team's choreographer and dance coach. They were working at the pinnacle of Romania's centralized system, and there was tremendous pressure to find more Nadias. My real full name is um, Gertrude Amelia Eberly. Trudy Kolar was a gymnast for Romania's national team from 1976 to 1983. She competed under her middle and maiden names, Amelia Eberly because it sounded more like Romanian. By age 12, Trudy was the reigning junior national champion. I just got a call at home. It was Bella Caroli. I saw Nadia on TV and I loved gymnastics and I said, I always told my mom, oh my gosh, I wish I could train with her, but that's never gonna happen. And then we got a phone call and I was like, I said, okay, mom, let's go. Trudy traveled with her mother by train to Deva. I was so happy when we got there and when I saw Bella, he was, he looked to me like a mountain. I was a little tiny girl and he was like big and all smiling and everything. Her mother kissed her and placed a half a loaf of bread in a dresser drawer before leaving. She told her daughter to please remember to eat. She said, okay, honey, I need to leave now. I need to catch the train. I said, bye, mom. I gave her a kiss and then Bella showed her to the, through the hallway to the door and I was just like, oh, okay, by myself in a room. I said, okay, so where should I put my stuff? And the door just suddenly opens in a scary way, you know, just really fast. And Bella comes, and he smacked me over the face so hard that I flew on my bed. And he opened the drawer where my bread was in, and he said, if I ever see you again eating anything like this, I will kill you. That was my welcome. Don't misunderstand, the National Training Center at a drab town called Deva is not a concentration camp. There are pillow fights and fun and going to school, but there's mostly training, and tough training it is. This was Nadia in her training days with Coach Karolyi standing by, but not catching her. Is this training or torture? And what do the youngsters think about it? We fail to watch all the time. Gabby Jaikulescu was 13 years old when she was recruited to train with Trudy and the other Olympians in the making. Life in Deva was one of deprivation, beatings, and living in constant fear. I tell you what I, what I saw when I got there. You know, two little crackers in the morning. It was a little food, but it was not enough. I mean, I ate toothpaste because I was not able to sleep. I was so hungry. And I just felt that I need something in my stomach. We were eating leftovers on the street. If you find a little apple that was like half eaten and you would pick it up. You you fall asleep dreaming about chocolates floating in front of your eyes. You fall asleep seeing like fried chicken. <laughs> Especially when you go and the coaches eat to a table next to you and they get like fried chicken and french fries and they eat right next to us and we sit and we have a yogurt, a plain yogurt, and a boiled egg. Or you have a dry piece of meat that gets stuck in your throat. It's so dry. I mean, you, you go to sleep hungry. And with all that training, you know, training, training, training. And we were given a fist of vitamins, or who knows what was that. And we never knew what's going to happen next. And there were times where 11 o'clock at night came, and Bella came to the dorm and said, put your shoes on and let's go and start running outside. You're fat as pigs. 
No, we have to go run. Rain, shine, snowing. There was no patience or compassion for injuries at Bella's training center. He wanted everything fast, quick. You know, put them back together fast, you know. If the doctor doesn't, didn't follow Bella's <laughs> orders, you know, they are out. Bella fired doctors who didn't follow his orders. And the gymnasts knew that complaining about injuries could lead to a beating. One day, doing a vault at practice, Gabby landed awkwardly and broke two fingers. She walked back to her teammates and showed them her throbbing right hand. And they told me, shut up, don't say anything, because he's going to get so mad. And I had to finish that practice with two broken fingers. I remember trying to grab the bar with one, one of the hands I could have put two fingers down. And he, somehow he just got kind of sick of looking at me, not doing a good job. He said a few words, you know, and, and just, just dismissed me. Nobody's going to take me to take an x-ray, not have a doctor to look at this. And all what I hear from colleagues is just keep going. Everything about the gymnast's lives in Deva was monitored. The national team coaches listened to their phone calls and intercepted their mail. When homesick girls ran away from the training center, police took them back to Deva. I was so scared. I swear, I thought he has eyes on trees, on the bushes, on the walls. We couldn't quit. It was not a choice. And you had to keep going against your will, against everything. Bella maintained complete control, while Marta came into the gym mostly to coach Balance Beam. To me, it always seemed like he was always on top of everything, and she was doing whatever he wanted her to do and obeying everything. When Marta was in the gym, she could also be physically abusive. And we could actually defend ourselves from her because she was not strong enough to catch us and hit us. So, you know, some, so she would scratch us or she would grab us from the neck like this, and then she would pull her fingernails into your meat, and it kind of hurt. But she was, she was not good at beating Bella was the bad one. Oh, gosh, that was bad. And when they faltered at meets, they faced his wrath. Let's say on beam, you fell on beam, that was a disaster. He got off the beam, saluted the judges, and we went straight to the bathroom, and he came after us, and we got beaten up. And then he said, well, you better pull yourself together because you have two more events. The girls' only respite from Bella and Marta was their dance classes with Geza. You know, it was relaxing for us. It was fun. He could... Uh, make us, you know, smile and have a good time. They also knew he would look out for them. Giza was always the one that was always behind Bella's back. He was protecting us. When he was together with Bella and Marta, he was a tough guy because he had to look like a tough guy because he would have probably lost his job if he didn't. So every time we went to practice at the gym in the afternoon and Giza was there before and he was always at the door looking through the keyhole and when Bella and Marta came, he said, six, six, six and five. Five was Marta and six was Bella. Geza used dance counts as code names for Marta and Bella. That's how we knew. When he said six, we already were like, oh my gosh, Bella's coming. Some days, Bella disappeared from the gym to go hunting. Those are the best days of our lives in the gym. So basically, Dracula wasn't there. Who was Dracula? Well, Bella. <laughs> Bella and Marta faced enormous pressure going into the 1980 Olympics. Their standing with the government was only as good as their next result. They'd have to match or beat the success of the 76 games to keep their country's favor. 
The entire Romanian team felt the weight of their country's oppressive regime when they met with officials before they left for Moscow. Some kind of lieutenant, I don't know, he was all dressed in green and stuff, big and big guy and really serious, and he said, you better think what you're doing twice. Don't you ever bring shame on your country. You're wearing our country on your shoulders. Trying to defend her gold medal in the all-around, Nadia became the center of a judging dispute. Nadia's beam exercise was outstanding. Exactly how outstanding created a lot of debate and controversy. Nadia went on a beam and her beam score didn't come up. For 30 minutes, the judges debated among themselves. Romanians tried to make sure that Nadia got the 995 score she needed. The Soviets knew anything less would give their girl Davidova the gold. It was the Soviets who won out. Bella protested Nadia's low beam score in full view of the television cameras. She was awarded a score of 9.85, a score she met impassively, but which was greeted with disbelief by the Romanian coach. Nadia had to settle for silver in the all-around, but went on to win gold on floor and beam. Trudy won a silver medal on the uneven bars. The Romanians repeated with a silver in the team competition, but this time finishing second to the Russians was a disappointment. Bella and Marta weren't returning to Romania as heroes again. So when we made the big uh, brouhaha about uh, Nadia scoring on beam, the government didn't like it. In a society hypersensitive about how it was perceived on the world stage, and particularly by its communist allies, Bella's protest in response to the Russian judge embarrassed the Romanian officials. Plus, his most important ally in the Ceausescu regime had just been demoted. So uh, Bela knew that the end is close. Then he told me at that moment, oh, we are in a big trouble. And from there, everything started to go sour for us. The first time I ever saw Bella Caroli in action with his gymnast was pretty memorable. There'll be no scores today, just Nadia, in the spotlight again, working her magic before our cameras. It was the Nadia 81 tour when Bella and the Romanian women's national team toured with the American team in March 1981. My reporting partner, Bonnie Ford, covered the Detroit stop of the Nadia 81 tour, a seven-city promotional tour of the U.S. featuring the Romanian national team and its superstar. So I personally, as both an Olympic fan and a reporter at that time, I didn't think of it as a political event where the Romanians were showing off their system, so to speak. Certainly they did. They saw it as a propaganda tool and a chance to highlight their excellence. Remarkable the crowds they get for gymnastics now, more than 16,000 here. But to me, it was just a chance to see the best athlete in her sport. She's won 10 Olympic medals, five of them gold. I was focused on Nadia. The audience was focused on Nadia. A lot of, you know, very excited young girls. This was like Beatlemania. Nadia mania was definitely a real thing. Now that was not her Olympic or world championship routine, but the moves she did do were great. The crowd couldn't care less. They have seen Nadia. Just behind her, you see the well-known coach, Bella Caroli. Bella Caroli was very visible, and he was unmistakable on the floor. Huge guy. He was, in our eyes, the guru, the genius behind 
Nadia's precision and, and perfection. Being on tour with Bella as the Romanians coach, it was interesting to watch him and the gymnasts, really, just how they interacted with each other. The U.S. national team had been invited to perform with the Romanians on their tour. Tracy Talavera was a member of that team. The gymnasts were always very stern, very robotic. They worked extremely hard. They did numbers of routines and skills way beyond what we had ever seen. Mike Jackie, the man who would become the president of the U.S. Gymnastics Federation, was on the tour, working for one of the equipment sponsors. He had a front row seat to the Carolis. Marta was in the background. She didn't say anything. Bella instructed her like he instructed everybody else. She was very subservient. I mean, it was not a coaching duel. You know, he was definitely the coach and she was definitely the third assistant, even though there wasn't a first or second assistant. But despite how well the tour was going, things behind the scenes were deteriorating for the Romanian coaches. They could tell from the way officials were treating them that they were in danger of losing their jobs and their prestige. We went there and we were treated very poorly from the very beginning of the tour. I mean, the president of the Gymnastic Federation was very, gave us a cold shoulder. On the Washington, D.C. stop, they were invited to a dinner party hosted by the Romanian ambassador. And at the dinner party, nobody would talk to us. They looked at us like strangers, like not even part of the team. I think we had a feeling that something was going on. Bella said that, I don't know if we have any future back in Romania. The tour was almost over. In two days, they'd be headed home. The Carolis and Geza knew things could only get worse for them, that their favor with a fickle and punitive government was waning. They were tired of the scrutiny. In Romania, everyone was watched all the time. Bella had fantasized about what a life in the United States could be. They had to make a decision. We made a plan. After the final show, the team returned to New York before traveling back to Romania, but the coaches had no intention of getting on that plane. Marta had an aunt with a place in Manhattan that they could use to hide out for a few days. In order to get there, Geza would have to distract his roommate, the head of the Romanian security detail. The plan was that I will take the Secret Service guy out to uh, shopping, and then we meet at the apartment. The morning of March 30, 1981, Trudy and her teammates were told they could go shopping, as long as they were back in time to board a bus to JFK Airport at noon. So we had a little bit of money, and we met down at, in the hallway, and they said, okay, so you have two hours, no funny business, no chocolates, no eating, no nothing. Then we all went out the door. Probably we, I walked like 10 steps, and Bella says, Trudy, I need you to come back. I started crying. I said, oh, my gosh, what have I done wrong this time? He said, you're going to have to come back with us in our room. I started crying because I thought, you know, I mean, just the fear of what have I done wrong? Trudy followed Bella's orders and went back to their room with Marta. I go back with Marta to the hotel room and very unusual behavior. She went, looked at the, the window, went, walked back to the door, looked to the window, walked back to the door, and I thought to myself, what in the world? Gosh, am I, now I'm supposed to be waiting to get beaten up? And I think we waited a good half an hour, and then he comes through the door 
where they just kind of look on his face, his face like he was all pale and stuff like that. He says, Trudy, we're not coming back anymore. When I heard that, I asked, what? That's the first time that I, I talked. I said, what? He said, well, we decided that we're going to stay here. We're not coming back. Bella and Marta asked Trudy to bring back luggage for their families. And then they just told me, said, um, we just have one request. Please make sure that we're going to leave this room. You don't leave this room for about 10 minutes after we're out of this room. And you cannot tell anybody anything until you get on the plane. They left, and I looked out in the windows, and I saw them throwing their luggage into a taxi. They jumped in a taxi and left. And that's when I knew for sure. I said, oh, we really, we really got rid of the Dracula. <laughs> We're not going to get beaten ever again. Life is going to be good from now on. Meanwhile, Geza got his security guard roommate out of the hotel and into the crowded streets of Times Square for their own shopping trip. A big sale, a big sale. I think we had a feeling that something was going on. We had some plans. Yeah. He would not let me go. And suddenly he sees a, a little store with umbrellas. Geza had his opportunity. I saw a cab, you know, stopping down the street. I jumped to the cab and I was gone. Geza made his way to meet Bella and Marta at her aunt's apartment. And when they saw me, they jumped up and down. Then I made it. We were very happy. After Trudy saw the Carolis leave, she went out and found her teammates on their shopping expedition and loaded up on chocolates. I did my chocolates and I ate even, I ate chocolate right when I bought it. Oh my, it was the time of my life. There was no one to stop her. At noon, as planned, the Romanian national team boarded a bus to the airport. So we finally got on a bus and the security guy, who was already green on his face, was just all green and said, where's Bella? You know it. I said, I don't know. How should I know? Maybe they didn't come back from the store yet. I have no idea. There was no sign of Bella, Marta, or Geza. And so the bus left. We got to the airport. No Bella. We got to the plane. No Bella. The plane waited three hours on the tarmac. I I couldn't believe it to myself. I couldn't believe it until the plane took off and I saw they're not in the plane. I said, okay, now they can't come anymore. It's been some time since the United States has had a really top drawer defection from the communist bloc of nations. But overnight here in Washington, a triple defection by three Romanians became known, which has overjoyed the American athletic world. Romanian gymnastics coach Bela Caroli, one of the world's best. His wife, Marta, also a highly regarded trainer. And Gesa Posar, the top choreographer for the Romanian women's team. Today, they were at the Capitol, asking a congressman to help reunite them with their families. The Carolis left a seven-year-old daughter in Romania. Gesa Posar, a wife and a young daughter. All I can tell you is, is that they are extremely warm and I believe very talented individuals who have a great sense of, of the desire to be free. The U.S. already has granted the coaches permission to work, and there's no doubt they plan to do what they do best. (laughs) 
If you or someone you know has been subjected to sexual assault or abuse and you would like more information or support, these hotlines can help. Rain's 24-7 Confidential National Sexual Assault Hotline, 1-800-656-4673 or Child Help, 1-800-422-4453. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Coming up on the next episode of Heavy Metals. Oh gosh, I heard so many bad news. How the American kids are spoiled. As soon as we got to the gym, he never sat down. How they don't want to work. Hands on, spotting everybody. And I was like, worn out watching them. That they are not consistent in one direction. That's not true. That's a lie. Bella was the master motivator. Bella Caroni, hear him? There was like always a pyramid. There was the winner. He said to me, Marilou, you come to me and I make you Olympic champion. And everybody else was kind of like a little pawn. Because not everybody can win. There's only one winner. That's up there. The gold medal goes to Mary Lou Red. Good job. Fantastic. Heavy Metals was reported by me, Alyssa Ronick, and Bonnie Ford. Producers Andrew Mambo and Meredith Hodnott. Senior producer Julia Lowry Henderson. Executive Producers, Libby Geist and Aaron Leiden. Mix Engineering and Sound Design by Mitra Kaboli. Production Management and Licensing, Luis Argianis, Kath Sankey, and Jennifer Thorpe. Production Assistants, Riley Bloom, Gus Navarro, Samantha Dowd, and Trevor Gill. Original Music by Ian Koss. Executive Producers for ESPN, Connor Shell, Rob King, and Allison Overholt. This podcast was developed by Jenna Anthony and Adam Newhouse with help from Jody Avergan. Additional production support from Amy Van Dusen and Eve Wolf. Archival producer, Juliana Branham. John Mastro Berardino provided fact-checking. Terry Langford did legal research. ESPN Audio, Tom Ricks, Megan Judge, Pete Giannassini, and Ryan Graner. Special thanks to Jenna Janovey and Elaine Tang, Jolene Van Vute, and the production teams at ESPN LA and ESPN New York. This season of 30 for 30 podcasts was produced in association with ESPNW.